Welcome to the Glory Not Stories. On this episode, we'll be speaking with Dr. Denise Pennywell. Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to episode 43 of the Glory in Our Stories where we interview, well, where I interview, I guess you should say, um, extraordinary, well, we get to dissect extraordinary stories pertaining to everyday people. And this scenario, it's not just everyday people. Um, For the last couple of episodes, I've had the pleasure of actually interviewing family. Um, One of the coolest coolest experiences I ever had and I never thought that I'd be in a position where I can just sit across from somebody that I've known the majority of my life and ask them questions I've been listening my entire life and I never thought that I would have the opportunity to ask anyone anything pertaining to their life and um, the things that they desired I'm sorry I'm trying to exit something out of my phone but today I am sitting across from Dr. Denise Lee Pennywell. Uh, for a lot of you who know me, I'm interviewing my mother. Um, well, I call her mom. I never forget. I actually called her by her first name twice, and I never did it again. <laughs> Even though I was playing, it's the face that she gave me. Uh, and, um, and the weird thing was... I've always had respect for, and it wasn't until maybe, what, 12, things about maybe 12 years old where I, if I was not the same height as her, I was taller than her, but I've been looking up to her all my life, and even when I got a little bit taller, I I never um, diminished her presence. I never degraded her. Um, and it's, I can go on all day uh, with the contributions that she made, not just to my life, but to my older sisters. Um, but I always like starting the interviews with um, how I met uh, the people that I'm sitting across from. But in this scenario, I guess I just name one of my fondest memories. I was just thinking about this the other day and I realized that growing up, my imagination was pretty vast. And I realized that I really enjoyed playing with toys. And um, my favorite collectibles was Ninja Turtles. I think I've, at one point I had all four of them. But what mom did is that she actually took the time to get down on the floor and actually play with me. Uh, when we had the uh, Green Army Men, for those of you who are 90s babies, I'm pretty certain you're familiar with, familiar with Toy Story. And when we first saw that movie, the first thing that stuck out to me was uh, the Green Army Man, because that's one thing that mom and I used to play with excessively. Uh, We would create two different armies and we would put a lamp on the floor and we would just sit there and and have at it. 
And I love the fact that in the midst of mom's busy life, um, she's recently retired um, from teaching in the classroom of 40 years uh, this past May. And living here with her, growing up with her and my sisters, mom always had one primarily obligation, and that was being a mom. And that's, that's what I saw her as for as long as I can remember. But it wasn't until, until a few years ago uh, I had took her out to eat and it was for a special occasion. I forgot what it was. And I stepped back and I said, my mom is a woman. And that bothered me. That bothered me so much. But it was at that moment where I gotten curious as to what her life entailed. So to say all that, I guess we'll jump right into it. Um, I'm gonna call you Dr. Pennywell since <laughs> she rightfully earned that. <laughs> uh, but I, I address you, make it a little bit more uh, comfortable. I'll call you mom, please. And uh, <laughs> it was just another thing. My sisters and I, we all have a different way of saying mom. I, mine is mama. Tasha, my oldest sister, is mother, and Natalie is ma. Is M.A. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't pay attention to that until the last 10 years. I'm like, we all call mom a different name. And we're all different kids. We all have different personalities. But one thing that she did effectively is she knew how to communicate to all three of us in an, in our own individual way, in a way that not only we could understand her, but in a way that she can understand us. So um, I guess I'll go ahead and ask you. And the majority of all these questions, I know, but I, I know I'm going to learn something new. So that's why I've been looking forward to this. Okay. So, uh, so where were you Where were you born? Where did you grow up? And how was your childhood? Uh, I was born in Cleveland, Ohio. And at the age of eight, after the death of our mom, we were brought to Arkansas. So I was um, raised in Arkansas. Uh, my childhood, I had a very dysfunctional childhood. I was always, found myself always scared all the time. And either because something's going to happen or something might happen. But it was always, I was always afraid and I, I don't really know all the, the reasons why, but I, I just knew I was. But it was always good to be around my brothers and sisters when I was growing up. But my favorite was my brothers. <laughs> I love hanging with my brothers. And that's what I did a lot of. I did a lot of playing around with my brothers. So it was, it was, uh, it wasn't easy. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't easy at all growing up. There was a lot of things going on in my home at that time. But uh, what made it um, interesting, able to get through it, was my brothers and sisters. They was always coming up with something exciting to say, something exciting to do, always something uh, to talk about, always something to laugh about. My brothers always stood up for me, like, uh, believe it or not, in third grade. Second grade, I skipped school. Mm -hmm. Mama would send us to school because <laughs> uh, we had to walk. And what I would do is that when we got ready to go to school, I would go a different way and go to the park and play. Mm -hmm. And then when the school was out, and I saw all the kids walking home. I would get in line <laughs> and come home. And the teachers were concerned about how many days I was missing. So one of my brothers would write a note to the teacher and tell the teacher why. Which one? Uh, Thurman. 
He's uh, he's passed away. He's one. Of the, he was the first one to pass away. Oh wow! Years ago, but well, he was the one that would write notes, and somehow my mom found out about it. So she she got both of us. She put both of us. But <laughs> that's how it was. And it's kind of weird because at two, at second grade, I was skipping school. But when I moved to Arkansas and got in school, you know, I had to go because my mama made yeah. us go. But I was at the top of my class. I was at the top of my class after all that. And that goes to show that, and I think it's pretty evident due to your experience that you've seen in classrooms. When a child is acting out or doing something, it's not that they can't do the work. Exactly. It's just something's going on yep. outside of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, and I think I was talking to a coworker today. What number are you in the lineup of the, of the kids? Was it number eight? Or? I'm the seventh. I'm the seventh from so, the top. So you're almost in the middle? Well, no, no, I'll take it back. I'm the eighth because I have a brother and a sister behind me. So I'm the eighth. So that's Auntie Van and Uncle Pop. Uh-huh. Is Uncle Pop the youngest? He's the baby. He was, at least he was the baby. So, um, you know, Quincy made, he, Quincy made this point when I interviewed him. The, the experience of growing up in a house full of siblings. How was that for you? Well, to me, it didn't seem like a whole lot of kids at the house. To be honest. It didn't seem really? like a whole lot. No. Because I remember... Hanging under Beverly a lot. And I just always with my brothers outside playing. So I, to me, it, I don't remember a whole lot of kids being in the house unless it was a holiday. And Mama had to cook some cakes and, and we were all at the house then, in the house then. But I, I honestly don't remember, uh, to me it didn't seem like, I put it that way, a lot of children in the house. And there had to be, and there's at least ten of us. And to me, it just didn't seem that many. Was that stressful for your parents? Or did you notice that? Or Yeah, it, it, it weighed a lot on Mama. Diddy worked a lot. We called him Diddy. My daddy would call him Diddy. Mm-hmm. He worked a lot. And, and, yeah, it was stressful to Mom. It was. So the moment that um, your mom passed away, how was that transition as far as me, you all dealing with this? Like, did you understand what was going on at yeah. that moment and the severity of it? And- yeah, when, when Mama passed, I, re- I remember going to the funeral. I remember crying a lot. I, re- I remember the colored dresses that we had on. Uh, me, Lisa, and, uh, and Van. Yeah, well, I remember the colored dresses we had on. It was the transition coming, going from Cleveland to Arkansas whole different environment whole different the house was different everything was different so um that had to been in in may in june in june so i was eight years old but i was almost nine so i would tell big mama my mm-hmm. grandmother i'm almost nine years old now can i go back home we always well i only speak for myself i always wanted to go back home I always thought that there's going to come a point in time where Big Mama would take us back home. But by January, our father died. So uh, it wasn't even a year apart from the time my mom died to the time my dad died. So I knew we weren't going, I knew we weren't going home then. You well, know? Yeah. So it, it, it wasn't that good at all. 
was and to have lost both parents before I was 10. I never thought of it like that. Yeah. Now, do you still think about them? Like, in, like you ever find yourself um, sitting down and like actually thinking about your parents? Because it's, it's been a while. I think about my mom more than I do my dad. And, um, and that time comes around, especially during Mother's Day. During mm. Mother's Day, that, that's when it, I think about it. Then why not your your dad? I, I have no idea. I, and I, I couldn't tell you. Because when Father's Day come around, I don't think about my dad. I think about your dad. Well, yeah. Yeah, on Father's Day. So maybe that takes the place of it. I don't know. What was, um? that's so weird. Like, I can't even call her grandmother because I'm not, it's not that she's not. I'm mm-hmm. not used to addressing her because we never addressed. We never was able to. But as far as... What was your mom like? Like her mannerisms, her characteristics, like the kind of person she was. She laughed a lot. She uh, she kept her hair pretty all the time. She was a beautiful lady. I thought she was, and uh, she was to me. She was always busy and talking with her friends or doing something like that. Yeah, she was. Uh, she was always laughing though when I would think about her. There's some things that went on with mom that I don't think need to be said. Mm-hmm. But other than that, that's what I see. Uh, the way you describe her reminds me of Auntie Van. And <laughs> yeah. She loves, as long as I remember, she's always been laughing. So she's always had wit. And um, yeah. just being around her, I just know that I'm going to laugh. It's Regardless of what it is, because she's just being herself. <laughs> Unapologetically. Yeah. And um and I recall seeing a lot of pictures and seeing amongst um the girls mm-hmm. realizing that she's the one that resembles Oh yeah, your most mom definitely. Most. And um most definitely. And seeing your dad, I see you, I see Beverly, I see Auntie Lisa. Mm-hmm. Um I see a little bit of Auntie Lo. Um, but um but definitely I see Auntie Van and your mom and, yeah. and, and you and yeah. your dad. And um Moving now, I, I think I never asked you this. When it came to you all moving to Arkansas, did was it a choice for your uh, for Big Mama to take you all in? Like, what if she hadn't? How would that would have gone? Well, for somewhere along the line, I was told that Mama said that if anything should happen to her, she asked Big Mama to take her last three children. Okay. And that's how that's how that came to be. And um. Hmm. So did did your mom leave a will, or was it just Mm-mm. it just it's just word of mouth? So it was you, Auntie Van, mm-hmm. and Uncle Pop. Uh huh. And, and then what happened to when, the older? When Lisa Lisa asked to come. Oh yeah, I remember yeah, you told she me asked that. that. And then the rest of them got uh, they went different places. Different relatives got them. It was. It was just different. We just got spread out. What do you remember uh, mostly about living with uh, Big Mom? Because you've told me, based off your dreams alone, <laughs> <laughs> that you still have, which yeah. is which is um, weird because I don't, like me myself, I guess if my, my, my childhood was different, I would have different dreams. But I remember you, you, some, you mentioned them periodically, that you have these. And in these dreams, they're, they're fearful. Mm-hmm. What I understand. Most of the time they are. 
and it's pertaining to Big Mama. Yeah. And what? Well, in I guess in contrast to your mom, how how was she? Mom was very strict. You you got to think about it that every time she looked at us, she thought about her child. We were the remembrance of her only child that she had. So, the mom was very strict on what she did. Um, to me, she was. Um, I don't know how to put it. Um, really straightforward. I can't remember when um, she would laugh and talk with us. She was always being directive, telling us what to do. But she always made sure that we were taken care of. Mm -hmm. We always had a house to stay in. We always had food. We we had always had something for Christmas. Uh, we always had new things when school started. But Mama, really, she truly took good care of us. Yeah. But she was always serious about what she did. I mean, it, I don't remember laughing and sitting around talking to my mom. That's funny. Because everything you said, you did with us. But it wasn't as sharp. Like, you had time. We had fun. And you, you talked to us. But we never went out home. We always had what we needed. Yeah. Especially when it came to school. If we had, even if we didn't have the latest gear... We always had our books. We always had paper, pen, everything on that list that was uh, mandatory. That was a primary above anything else. Yeah. And um, do you feel in the sense that you had picked that up uh, from Quebec? Because it sounded like she raised you most for most of your life. Yes, yeah, she did. She did. Yeah, I know I got that from her. I, but I wasn't thinking about it yeah. when I did it. I, I just did it because that's what I knew. Mm-hmm. And that's how I did it. So, um, so what was, so what was um, life as far as because you got to to Arkansas? How old were you then? I was eight. I was eight. I'm trying to figure out the grade. So, what what grade was that? Third grade. Third grade. I came into the third grade. So up until like middle school and and high school, like how was that for you? Especially going through what you've been through because. The one thing that amazed me was that the average person, according to everyone else, that's a very traumatic experience. So your life could have been taken, could have taken a complete yeah, left yeah. turn. But it seemed like you made a conscious decision to do the contrary. But that's, well, I don't know about that, CJ. That's why, that's why I believe that my steps, and I always tell people, ordered by God. God knew me. Long before I knew him. You know that, right? Yes, ma'am. So, even though I had all those troubles and stuff coming up as a kid, in school was totally different. A whole different world for me. I was the top of my class with almost everything I did. Um, when teachers needed something done, like models done or art done, anything like that, mine was always the one that they showed that this is how it's supposed to be done. Um... I graduated second in my class. It's it was just school was a whole different world for me. I would go, sometimes I would go to school uh, after the mom would have fussed at us about something that we didn't do. <laughs> but when I got to school, it was it was just a whole different world, and I enjoyed my whole time from the time I came in third grade till the time I graduated. I really cannot think. Oh, my mind won't allow me to think of anything negative that happened traumatic for me. Mm -hmm. It was, 
I just loved going to school. And, I, and every time, it, most everything I did at school, I did my best. But Big Mama never, I don't recall her encouraging me uh, and uh, to do this or to do that. I just, I just did it. I just did. So did that feed you into your passion for teaching? It definitely. It did. It, it did. Now, now you said that the, um, I think it was, um, I remember you telling me, I think it was maybe 18 or 19, when they asked you to, um, was it tutor or teach? Uh, tutor. To tutor. And I guess it just went uphill from there. Yeah, because I, when I graduated, I, I left school and I went to stay with Charlie, my brother. Mm-hmm. And then the principal called me and asked me to come back to teach. It was more so teach than tutor. To teach, because it was during school hours, mm-hmm. of the migrant kids. And um, that's what I did. Third graders. I taught them. Because they were, co- they were seasonal children. They was coming in and going out. Mm-hmm. So I taught them, and I enjoyed it so much. And I was expecting the, the principal to hire me for the next year. He said, no, I can't hire you for next year. He said, if you want to keep doing this, you have to go to college. And that's the first time in my life someone mentioned the word college. And that's how I ended up going. Was that a, was, I guess that was never talked about in Big Mama's house? I don't recall. And it sounds like you all was focusing, well, I guess she was focusing on surviving. Yes, sir. And exactly. And making sure you all yes. were just yep. more concerned about your livelihood. Yeah. And um, I guess in a, an environment like that, there's not much room to think about anything else. It seems like it. Or it seems like you don't have flexibility to think of it. Like your, your main concern is making sure like the bills are paid and the kids attended to. So if even if education is considered, it's secondary. And I'm learning that from being in certain situations far like with kids in the educational system. And I'm learning that between um, counties that are, seem like they have more access to funds opposed to another county. Because if you have one county that does extremely well, that's, I guess, well, wealthy, that are wealthy, considered wealthy, Education is primary because everything else is taken care of. Well, n- not necessarily, because even in uh, a, uh, a county that is not doing as well, the resources out are outstanding. You wouldn't believe the resources that are, that are in those kind of schools. Mm-hmm. There, uh, whereas it's it's the it's econo- economics that makes a difference in how people perceive their education. I think. Okay. All right. Because I don't think it has anything to do with what's accessible at the schools. Sometimes it may be, but where I've been in places that I've seen, the the schools were equipped with all kinds of resources. I mean, resources on top of resources. But then again, you look at the ones that are exceeding in in the grades and and uh, where education is is on top priority. It's it's because of where some of the parents are or where the school is located or mm-hmm. something like that. That's what I think. Was, that's what makes that difference. So if you ever, so what would, what is your encouraging? And I guess I'll ask you this and then we'll move on to the, cause I know you can talk about education <laughs> yeah, all day. Yeah, yeah. But what do you do as far as encouraging parents who find it difficult uh, with their kids 
excelling in school? Um, to reach out for help because there's all kind of, like I said, all kind of research. There's after school programs, there are tutoring uh, programs out there, there are uh, all kinds of uh, extra resources mm. outside of school that parents can tap into to help their child. And if they, if they would just question the teachers more so, a lot of parents won't um, question the teachers unless something uh, physical has happened to their child. Mm. But if, um, if they would uh, talk to the teachers, question the teachers, sit in with their, class, their child's classroom, get involved in it, all that helps the kids. If the kids never see their parents in school, if they never, if they find that their parents never questioning what the teacher is doing, they they're less likely to be as successful as a child whose parent is always there, or who's questioning the teacher, like I said, or making themselves visible or tapping into extra stuff. Yeah. So, um, the main thing I would suggest for a parent is to make sure that they are in contact with their child's teacher in the school that that child is in. Find out what's going on. What is What are the teachers doing in the classroom? How is she conducting the classroom? Get in there. And that when that child see, oh, hey, oh my mom, she's, oh, my dad, they might be here today, or mm-hmm. they're going to ask me about this. So that would help. That would help a lot. Even though they've got all these resources out here, if you in that child's school and in that child's teacher's face, you're con- as a concerned parent, that's going to make a difference. I, I know it makes a difference. It makes a difference in that child. It'll make a difference in the parent. And it'll definitely make a difference in that teacher. 40 years. 40 years in the classroom. Uh, that goes without saying that she is more than equipped to help future educators as well as educators that are still teaching today. If you have any questions concerning her experience, I'm certain she'll be willing to, to answer them. But I just wanted to drop a few facts concerning her, three in particular that she didn't get a chance to mention that I think were pretty cool. Number one, she's a huge Marvel fan. She loves Wolverine, from what I understand. He's, Wolverine's one of my favorites as well. Uh, she taught herself um, as a young child. To, uh, she taught herself gymnastics. And she's also a hula hoop enthusiast. She's very good. So if you ever feel the need to challenge her, hit her up. She'll be more than willing to accept the challenge. But continue listening. This is episode 43 of The Glory in Our Stories featuring Dr. Denise Pennywell. You went to school to Armorell, um, which is funny. A thing connected with that was the fact that you did an actual painting Oh yeah. for the school. Uh, I remember you took us there. Well, you took me there. You remember? Yeah. I think oh. I was, because Mike went to Armorell. Yes, yes. So we went there and I actually think we were there because we were visiting the school. Mm-hmm. And um, when we went there, we were waiting. We were talking to a coach, actually. And you say, you see that? I say, yeah. I said, oh, I painted that. And I think you, I forgot, how did you sign your name as an artist? I Do you remember? I don't remember. Because that threw me off because I don't, I knew you, I knew you were an artist. But to actually see your work in that setting, yeah. to see it like that, I was like, I only know my mom as a, as a teacher. But oh, I guess in relation to art, was that your first love? Yes. Or is that something that, and even now as a teacher, is that, 
okay, it, do you find a have you found a difference between your passion and your calling, or is it the same thing when it comes to education or when it comes to art? It's the same thing. Art is is art is something that um, how can I put it? Art is something that I feel. It's something. It's a feeling to me. It's not art per se. I say it like this because if there's a lot on my mind, then my art is detailed. Mm-hmm. The the uh, the more I'm filled with different stuff, the more detailed my art is. The art, my art only came in handy in reference to teaching. Is when I taught younger kids. When I got to fourth grade or fifth grade and sixth grade, art was a big thing. Mm-hmm. But with the little ones, if I if I'm making writing a sentence and they don't quite understand it, and I can draw it, and then they would say, "Oh, now I see." Mm-hmm. Or if uh, they're, I remember the times when they're taking a nap, when they were the little ones, mm-hmm. and while they were napping, I would draw for them. Uh, oh, my whole bulletin board. At the time, I my phones was low, so. Now, that teachers used to buy stuff to make that bulletin board. I would draw my bulletin. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I would do. But it was more convenient for me to do that with the younger kids than it was with the older kids. Mm-hmm. So I say a feeling, uh, it was more of a feeling because at that time I was going through a lot, personal mm-hmm. stuff. And I knew that the art would make the kids feel good. And that in, in turn made me feel well. So uh, that's how I used it. So um, I guess I head back up to because uh, you born Cleveland, born in Cleveland, raised in Arkansas, mm-hmm. and of course that's where our life began. Your mm-hmm. kids, mm-hmm. and at that point, it was time to progress. And I remember you telling me you had a choice between going west and going east. Yeah, and east was the first to contact you, which was Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, hold on. Was it Georgia? Okay. Or was it... I, yeah, I had, I put out an application for North Carolina, Georgia, and California. So who contacted you first? Yes, Georgia did. Did So did eventually North Carolina and California and contact you? The first, my first day at work in Georgia, California contacted me and told me that they would give me a provision. But that means that you can teach until you get your certificate. Mm-hmm. They gave me a provision to teach. But I was already in in contract with uh, Georgia. The And I'm, I'm realizing that in this journey, you obviously love teaching. But every so often, there's a point where somebody says, in order for you to get here, you have to fulfill this prerequisite. And it seemed like that was an um, incentive for you, or at least part of it. They say, you know what, I really want to do this. Let me further my education so that I can further my experience. But yeah, for that was at the beginning. But all these other degrees that I've gotten, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, uh, it wasn't things I had planned. None of it I planned. Mm-hmm. None of I planned. Uh, my bachelor's, which I had to get in order to teach, mm-hmm. but the the um, master's, it wasn't planned. Some some group of people say, "Well, let's why don't we go to school and get our master's?" I say, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's how I got my master's. And then 
with the specialist which came after the masters, uh, I was told, because at the time I was, uh, someone said, well, let's go get our doctor. I said, okay. <laughs> and so that's what I did. But on the road between going to get the doctorate, I found out that you can get a degree for being a specialist. So that's what I did. So I could have stopped at, at a specialist degree if I wanted to. But I had already started pursuing my doctorate and I wasn't I wasn't yeah. gonna quit, you know, I wasn't gonna stop till that was done. And all that that took a lot of prayer. But I did it. By the grace of God I did it. Now were you concerned with us as far as how that would reflect upon us during this whole time? And was and if even if so, was that difficult or was that any form of pressure? No, because uh you all were big kids when I started my, it's just like a snowball effect. Yeah. Once I started my master's, you all were, were big kids grown. And um, so it wasn't a pressure on me because I didn't want to go back to school to do anything. I did know that. I didn't yeah. want to go back to school to do anything while, while you all were at home. Because yeah, I, 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 I couldn't do both. I couldn't do both. Mm-hmm. So, um, there was it was no pressure because you all were adults, practically adults. I put it that way when I started that journey. What was the most challenging aspect of better of increasing? I guess um, increasing your level of education was was the doctoring program. Was that the most difficult? It was the most most challenging. It really was. Um, there were aspects of the doctor uh, program where. You will have to hire, some people hire other people to do parts of it, like the quantitative research. That's mm-hmm. dealing with numbers. Math is not my best. That's not mine okay. either. So. Uh, um, so the quantitative research was um, the most difficult. And and it was a miracle, honestly, God, a miracle that I did my own quantitative research. That was totally a miracle. I didn't have to pay anybody to do it. Mm-hmm. That was the hardest part because once I did that, I had to be able to explain it. And that was the most difficult part of my whole journey doing that doctor was doing that quantitative research, dealing with numbers, all the data, interpreting the data and all that. That was the most difficult part. The interpretation of the gathering of it wasn't. Yeah. was the interpretation of it and to be able to explain it to you how I did it. But that was... That was a miracle. That was nothing but nothing but God. <laughs> nothing but God. That was um. It's funny you said that because that was a point where I had to do a presentation on some literature that I was reading, and I asked God, I, "I am not a teacher." This was in um, undergrad, and we had to do this for a grade. I had to do this with a partner, actually. So both of us had to teach. I want to say teach. We had to present two different. We had to present the same concept, but from two different voices. Mm-hmm. And I said, now, how am I going to explain this to this class to the point they can, I can fully understand it? It's very complex material. Mm-hmm. And But my first, uh, my thought was, I am not a teacher. That's what I thought. But when I stood in front of that class, even beforehand, I said, how can I think of a creative way to present this? And I actually included Michael Bolton. A lyric from Michael Bolton <laughs> into what I was saying, and people perked and they understood it, and even my professor did. And I actually got a higher grade 
than my partner because of the way I presented it. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, what is, and that's, and that's another thing that I'm learning. Um, Stephen, Pastor Stephen Furtick, I'm not sure if you've, you've heard of him. Um, Adrian and I, we, we love him because he's, he has a modern take on preaching. Like it's, it's, he's, he's very hip to the game, basically, for lack of better terms. And he said, I think it was him. He said, we need to stop praying for God to give us anything most of the time. But instead of asking for something, ask him to reveal something that's already a part of you. Because we automatically assume that it's not there, uh-huh. yeah. but it's been there. Yeah. We just have to open our eyes to it. Yeah, because, I mean, that, the uh, the professors, when they heard me explain that, they said it was more of a conversation Yeah. than anything. Mm-hmm. And I, I, just, I just knew it was God. You ask anybody that, that has acquired a doctorate degree how that quantitative data, they end up, Hiring someone to do it for them. And one thing that I do enjoy about college, in my professors, is they will have conversation yeah. dialogue. Especially, yeah. um, uh, if I'm not sure if he ever listens to Dr. Hegwood, one of my favorite professors. He would talk to us, sit on his desk, and just wait for us to respond. He didn't take the time to lecture. He's like, I really want to know what you all think. Like, you know, for me to you, what do you think about this that we read? And that's a lot more. It's easier to take in opposed to somebody just throwing information yeah. at you. Because you're more comfortable. You're both more comfortable. The, the speaker or the presenter makes the audience comfortable. When the audience is comfortable, you get more of a feedback. Mm-hmm. And, and they're uh, more of a freedom to speak. And it makes a difference. It does. It, were you able to do this effectively with your fifth graders? Like, oh, yeah. Because uh, I, I remember you telling me... Um, <laughs> learning like the latest dance moves, being aware <laughs> of their of their lingo, you know, of uh, modern slang, and um, but it it takes and it's funny because a lot of younger people, younger teachers would be more prone to do that, but your priority is always how can I connect with yeah. my students? If I if if I can't connect with them, teaching is nowhere in sight. I have to connect first. Every time I taught, I had to connect first. Even if I had to do some research and going out and asking somebody yeah. about a certain song or something, I had to connect. If, if there's no connection, for, I'm, I'm only speaking for myself. Mm-hmm. If there's no connection, I know I couldn't teach them. And that's what, we, that's what I did. Now, did you find it easy to come home from teaching students to help us like with our homework and what we were learning in class. And another question I wanted to ask you was, was there ever a moment where you looked at something that we were being taught and you wanted to probably question the technique of the teacher or did you find it easier? Well, just basically how was the experience with education concerning us, your kids opposed to kids that you were teaching? Um, Coming home, to you, I was the only challenge. Yeah, I hate to say this, but the only challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Tasha and Ned. Oh, go <laughs> Tasha and Ned, they just came home. They did their work. <laughs> I didn't have to help them as much, but with you, it it, it was more so 
CJ, did you do your homework? CJ, uh, where is your homework? Let me see it. But you all out like I was totally blessed. You all had the you all paid attention in the classroom. Y'all had some great teachers. Yeah. You all paid attention in the classroom, so I didn't have to do too much when y'all came home. Just to make sure you've done it. Mm-hmm. But the girls I, I hardly ever said anything to them. But it was either it was you, CJ. <laughs> <laughs> it was you. But um one thing that um, you all came home with that I did not know anything about was at that time it was called Graphic Organizer. Do you remember really? that? Yes. I didn't know anything about that. But once y'all brought it home and you all explained it to me, I took it and ran with it. So if you can ask any other teacher that I worked with after that, they came to me for Graphic Organizers. Because that, and I just, I just went with that. That was something that added to my uh, teaching career that exploded. Because mm-hmm. when y'all came, guess the first time I ever seen graphic organized when y'all brought it home from school here in Thompson. Now remind me, I see it in my They, head. they have, uh, you can do, there's many different kinds. There are uh, things like this. Anything that you have to put information on. Oh yes. Uh, anything you have yeah. to anything you have to and not just Well that's they use they still use that for yeah. um thesis, writing thesis yes. and um what is it? Cause, Outlines oh yes, and, and all that. But yeah. what happened is that they, they Which is easier. Yes, most definitely. And and that's what I that is one of the main things doing all my teaching strategies over the years. Mm-hmm. I got notebooks piles of different kinds. What they did was that over time they changed the name. But it was still the same. Yeah. You know? So, I, uh, but that's what, yeah, teaching from coming home, from coming from work, coming home, it wasn't too much of a problem at all, to be honest about it. Whereas um, you would think that I can take what I was teaching in school, if y'all were in the same grade, it, I could do something with it. But you all, y'all were listeners in the classroom, y'all had some great teachers. Because evidently, because I didn't have to do that much work when y'all came home. Yeah. And I realized that primarily for me, it was uh, conduct. It, it was, was conduct and responsibility. It's not yeah. that you didn't have, yeah. knowledge had nothing to do with it. Mm-mm. It was conduct and responsibility that, on your part. And I would say this, because I've said it before. Uh, one thing that the only thing amongst every lesson that you've ever given me, you told me because I was acting up in school, and you it was up it was middle school six through eighth, because it was at that time where I peaked as a class clown. Like I was, unfortunately that that was my if I was an athlete that would be my prime. Like I hit my prime, <laughs> I hit my prime in middle school, but you looked at me as not just as my parent but as an educator. You said those students are not laughing with you; they're laughing at you. And I was like, and I slumped and I was like, I never really paid attention to that. Because when you do something silly in class, everybody's laughing and you're laughing because that's what you want. Yeah, yeah. But they're not laughing with me. They just know that if I continuously build that reputation, oh, that's what he is. He doesn't take anything seriously. Mm-hmm. And that hurt. That reality hurt. So when I got to high school, that's when I caved in. And I became a huge introvert. 
because I didn't feel confident enough to articulate myself. So that's why you saw me drawing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is funny because the more I did that, the more detailed my work yeah, came. Yeah, yeah. Because I, got, I put so much energy into that as opposed to developing relationships and talking to people. And once I got out of high school and I went to college... Well, just out of high school period, I didn't have a desire to uh, draw anymore because I still wanted to develop connections with people yeah, and yeah. develop those relationships. Um, but the beautiful thing about this is that I think most kids do have an upper hand when they have educators as parents because they do. You, you all have already have an appreciation for it. So you're able to pass that on and use that same magnitude that same level of importance with us as your kids yeah and on the other other side of that if your child is the one that cut up in class if it's your child that's cutting up Mm -hmm. then you're able to tell your child how (laughs) how that affects the teacher yeah you see so it 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 has its, its torques and it's funny because i never i'm glad you say that because i never paid attention to how it did affect my teachers what I was more concerned was how it affected you as I got older. Yeah. I said, at some point, moms is going to get tired of just having to discipline me and tired of of sometimes having to meet up with the teachers. And that's another thing. Despite my conduct, if you would have never showed up for school, that would have hurt me more. Yes, yeah, that's what I was telling you. That that's what, I, that's what I'm telling you. So that's, that's ve- despite the circumstances, yes, yes. you actually being there and those <laughs> Those teachers knew your mom, your mom ain't playing <laughs> because they yeah. saw your face. Yes, it's important for parents to be in the school. They it's saw important. your face. Now, what obvious differences do you see? Because you, like you see, you've been in education for forty years. So, what changes have you seen over the last couple of decades that that um? Well, I ask you this: Do you think? Because it sounds like what's happening now in education, it looks different. But it's, it's the same thing. It seems like it's been going on for a while, but it just looks it, different. The um, the difference comes with time. So you're still going to teach kids. You just, you still have your strategies, but a a an effective teacher, a teacher that um, is planning to actually make a difference. That teacher has to move with the time. Now you take, keep in mind that I t- I started in '78. Yeah. In those years '78, '79, I can't use those same strategies, even though I know they worked, good stuff. But I can't use that. I couldn't use that in 1990, because the the kids are different. Yeah. And then here comes uh 2000. Keep in mind, I started in 78. <laughs> Even though those things worked then, 78 and 79, I can't use those same strategies in 2000. Now you're almost just 2018. The changing, you're still teaching the children. Mm-hmm. But you, the changing comes with the, with the time and the, and the kids and how you, how you approach those kids. Because now, back then... Kids, you could hold the kids' attention longer then. Yeah. Now you can't do it because these kids are want automatic feedback. You think of when they get on the computer, this technology, 
Mm-hmm. They get instant feedback. Yeah. So teachers have to keep that in mind when trying to teach kids stuff. You just can't stand there now and lecture kids or talk to them. You have to be the facilitator of the kids working themselves. Yeah. That's, the, that's the difference for me. Where I, were, I would stand there and you can talk to the kids and teach. Now you got to have the kids more into it because they have to have that quick feedback. So if a teacher doesn't change, they, they actually say it after 30 years, that's the, that's the pit of a teacher. Yeah. And I can understand that. Because even as you keep going, kids are constantly changing. Even though your strategies worked back in the day, you still have to change with those kids. Because if you don't, you'll lose them. So that's almost talking about something that's the same and yet different. Yeah. You see? And something else I was going to, uh, the climate. Mm-hmm. The climate of the schools have changed. The, the um, kids, I just said 15, 20 years ago, everybody, the parents, the teachers, the administrators, everybody basically were on the same page. It was on the same page. It was more like family within the school. Mm-hmm. You know this kid. You know what helping this kid. If I can help it, you, another teacher might help a child. Now, because of so much pressure on teachers and so much less, um, uh, which, how you put it, where the parents, you can't, parents can't spank their kids like they used to back in the day. So they don't have that much authority over their own kids now. Mm. And uh, the administrators, there's a lot of pressure on them to make sure these test scores are coming out on a high level. So the climate has changed because everybody's trying to work and do something, get something done because somebody else is watching over my shoulder. Whereas back in the day, you just taught. Kids were uh, um, more apt to listen at that time. Now there's so much going on, distraction, they got to listen to what you're saying, listen to what their friends are saying, and hey, when I get back home, what, what I need to do to get myself to survive. Yeah. So the climate has changed because of the, the times have changed. So a lot of changes that's going on in schools now is because of the time. What stays the same is some of the things, materials that you use. Yeah. You still, and that's going to come obviously after a while, Still using books, paper and pencil. That's going to be gone after a while, though. And um, the classroom. I read uh, something that was in a book, I think it was in either 1904 or something way years, years ago, where the classrooms were set up in rows. Some teachers are still doing that. But if you go into some classrooms now, they're in, in groups of fours, groups of fives. Some people has even taken the the desk out of the room. Some kids aren't even sitting in chairs now. They're sitting on uh, maybe spun uh, big balls or some of them are standing up. Yeah. Because that's the that's the times. You have to learn how to change with the times. With the what those kid those roles, students in roles, that's so old. Way back, way before I even I started teaching. But those that change those classrooms for those kids, it fits these these children now, the change fits those these kids, and that helps them learn. Standing up, uh, doing their work, sitting on these bouncy balls, doing yeah. their work, you know, that it's 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 
changing and then again not changing if that makes any sense but mm -hmm. you you move with with the time you can't stay the same some teachers don't want to they don't want to stay the, they don't want to change but in order to be successful you have to change you don't have a choice yeah because you, you're doing disservice to those children if you don't now you said that the uh, for most students the cutoff was 30 years most teachers yeah so what I guess what propelled you for an extra 10 it was two two reasons one is was because um, part of my years was in Arkansas mm -hmm. okay so some of my years came here I did I could I could have stopped maybe seven or eight years ago but I, I wasn't I wasn't done yet <laughs> if, it, if it makes any sense I just I wasn't finished there's something left for me to do and I wasn't finished yet it wasn't until the number 40 came up it wasn't that I was ready to go because I wasn't with that number 40 God placed it on my heart the number 40 that's long enough to be in the classroom you've done all that you could do in the classroom it's time to come out I wasn't ready <laughs> I could have done a couple of more years but the number 40 that was it and I think I told you that I never imagined that would be it that day would come when you're like you know what it's it's time because I would always say, Lord, if I got up in the... Um, I remember you telling me that. And I didn't... But that day didn't come. That day did not come. It was that number. Yeah. And I can't explain that. In, that it was that number. And for those of you who are listening, I think you were saying, if if ever there comes a day where you didn't feel like getting up yeah. and going into the classroom, for you asked him to remove you yes, from the I classroom... Did. And when I heard when I heard you say that years ago, I thought that meant if I guess if you just no longer wanted, like you never had a you no longer had a passion for it, but you always do. But it was just you were waiting on him yeah. to give you the yeah to say so, yes. opposed to you making the decision. Yeah, exactly, yourself. exactly. And it sounds well. And I noticed. Um, well, I'm gonna ask you this: what What do you think is causing a lot of teachers to enter this and say you know what this isn't for me because i know i hear a lot of teachers not saying anything they saying they would say like these kids are bad i can't do this i can't do that like what do you think is the driving force preventing them to actually pursuing it even further some of them that don't that don't pass a, a year didn't do a preview you know where you go in and you uh test the water to mm -hmm. see I, and I, I say this over and over again every time someone asks me that. If a teacher, if a potential teacher wants to become, like I said, teacher, will go into the school which you are interested in, volunteer two or three weeks, you're going to pick up and you're going to see what the climate of the school is like. You're going to see what those kids are like. At that point... You're going to decide, you should be able to decide if I want to tackle this or mm -hmm. not. The, some of the new ones that come in and don't stay long, they're not used to the, the way the kids are. Mm -hmm. 
they can't handle it. They don't have the, some of them don't have the patience. They they're not used like familiar with it. It's all this is new because the textbooks do not teach you that. Yeah. They give you all the academics part, but they do not teach you these live bodies. So <laughs> if 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 um, you go in and and you are um, getting there maybe a month or two, this is not for me. If you had done the preview, then you would have known before you got yourself into that. Yeah. That that would have helped. Then again, there's some that comes through just for a little while and um, decide this is not what I want to do. It's okay. Well, are you going to stay in education or are you going to go into something else? Now, for me, I've had, over the years, I've had all kinds of children. All, all kinds of children. <laughs> but there is not one day, and God can, if he could tell anybody right now, there's not one day that I got up and said, I don't want to deal with so-and-so today. I don't want to go into that classroom today. You either got to get that kid out of that classroom while I'm coming out. Not one day. But what I did say is, Lord, you put that child in my room. Therefore, you have equipped me to teach this child. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to tell me what to do. You're going to have to show me. And CJ, I'm not lying. God is my witness. He would do it every single time. No matter how terrible that child act, no matter what, God always show me some way to get to that child. I even had kids where it wasn't the kid, it was me. And he has changed me during some of those times. No, Pennywell, you're approaching it the wrong way. You need to do it this way. Yeah. And so for me, yes, I've, I've dealt with all those kids. That's why I've stayed. I I cannot say I'm leaving because the kids are so bad. The, the kids are different. I know they're different. But if I'm teaching and I'm there, I know they're there for a reason. I know I'm there for a reason. And I just I, I always pray. And if I didn't pray, I always had parents praying for me. <laughs> always had some parents. I had some one time I had a parent to come anoint my door before she she told me. You need to pray before you walk into your classroom. Parent had never seen me before, but on that first day, you should pray before you walk into your classroom. That's why I was able to stay. I could have left many times because of conduct, disrespect. I could have left many times, but that that wasn't my call. Yeah. You see, that wasn't my call. And you meant you mentioned countless times about your golden nuggets and uh, which are the opportunities that you get to meet and see your kids your students that you've taught that are now parents and they have kids of their own and it seems like it's always been a good experience it always has has. i saw one boy was it sunday no this person no it had been friday friday i was uh getting gas and he came up to me and he said um uh, Miss Pennywell, I looked and I, and I couldn't believe it was him. And I said, I'm so sorry. I said, I don't know your name. He told me his name. And it was just so good to see him because when they get grown, it's, their, their face changes and it doesn't change. Mm-hmm. So I could very well have walked past that child with man now. Yeah. And I would have. 
but he stopped me. And that was God just, to me, those, those are my nuggets. I, he's like uh, reminding me or letting me see something. That does so much for me when a, when a child or an adult, whatever, stops and speaks. It does so much. Because those are the ones that God has allowed me to teach. He picked those kids just for me. <laughs> and he allowed me to teach them. And then they come back and say, how you doing, Miss Pennywell? How you doing, Dr. Pennywell? You were one of my best teachers. It's just, and there's something about it. It just does something to me. And it, and I know God's smiling when it, when that happens. I know he is. I know he is. Because lately I said, Lord, I hope and I pray I did good for you. You gave me 40 years. I pray I did good for you. And I can I can hear him saying, duh. <laughs> <laughs> and he sends me somebody, you know. That's funny because I don't, when people, I, I always justify my actions that I was an adventurous child. I wasn't bad. <laughs> no, you weren't. I no. I was adventurous. No. Um, but I made a, I used to make a funny joke in myself. Like, my mom can handle me. I know she can. <laughs> she can handle any student because I've given, in retrospect, I've given some stu- uh, teachers some very, a very hard time. Um, but it, it always amazes me how because I've only been in your classroom maybe twice and the way that you instruct I'm like mom does act that way at home <laughs> <laughs> but you're very serious you've always been very serious Lord, about serious what you about, do yeah, I'm serious about their education because and I tell them I said your parents entrusted me with your education your, your parents have you in my classroom because they trust me to give you a quality education. And that's what I'm going to do. That's first. I'm going to do that. Because they trust me to do it. And every child I taught knew that. Mm. Came first. And I know you've, you've had some some pretty, a lot of different experiences with, with students. and um, But you, you always had an optimistic view. Because you knew that despite what was going on now, it was, case in point, every time something bad happens, I always tell Adrian that um, the cool thing about Jesus when he was dying, he didn't focus on Friday. He focused on Sunday. Mm-hmm. He's like, this is what I was created to do. Even though it may be hurting, even though it's, it's torturous, I'm not focusing on the day of. I'm focusing on when it's time for me to fulfill my my destiny, my purpose. And that's what you, and that's what we've seen, your kids. That's what we've seen. You always, because it's always, you never really, because as a teacher, you can get so involved into in the deconstruction of whatever's going on, when especially when it comes to a classroom, because you just never know. You just never, it's, it's, it's a, a level of, a, an immense level of unpredictability. Yes, it is. But... You let you focused on the primary objective, which is this child has to receive what I have to give them, and I don't want to do anything to mess yep. that up. Yeah. And. Yeah. Um, I guess I ask you this. I don't, I won't, I'm not. This will be the last question before the last question. Okay. <laughs> but do you have a favorite? Um, not not student. That's. I know you never say that. 
as far as the places that you've taught in different states, different environments, do you have a favorite? Well, it's 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 kind of kind of neat because the the how that became my my core. Mm. It was forced upon me. I didn't ask for it. It was forced upon me. Yeah. It's pre-K. <laughs> Pre-K to me is a vision of the future. Whatever happens in pre-K has, to me, has a tremendous effect on those kids in with the next year or the next year. So when I see them, when I see those little kids, fresh out of the house, some of them, the first encounter with education, the first encounter in school is that year. So you can show them a bad thing or you can show them that school is the most marvelous place they had ever been <laughs> in the whole wide world. <laughs> and that makes a difference. And it makes a difference. Yeah. And that's what I have tried to do. With that, and God placed me there, right there, in that, those, that pre-K, so that when I come out of it, and I see the fifth graders, and I see the fourth graders, I wonder, how was your pre-K? How, how did you get from there to here? And it always, and it also lets me know that if I had not been there, I would not understand how those kids got where they are now. Yeah. You see? Well, when they walk, those little ones walk in that classroom, that teacher has the opportunity to make school <laughs> the most awesome place ever. Yeah. Because that is their first encounter with the school. So that that's that's where my core is, in a place that I didn't choose to be, but God saw fit to put me there, and He put me there for a reason. Because if I had not been there, I would not have known how beautiful and how important pre-K is in the whole line of education. So that's that's much my thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think the. Uh... The teacher that really opened my eyes as far as literature was Miss Flanders. Um, I don't think you ever met her. She was a teacher I had in high school. And Miss Flanders was very flamboyant when she talked about literature. And she made it look so beautiful and engaging. And as a writer, I just thought, because most of the time I existed and lived in my own head. And she allowed me to exit my head and see things from a different perspective and from a different point of view uh-huh. old literature which is pretty much outdated but they still talk about the same concepts that you you see in a magazine or you see on social media or you see in the movie theater same thing that's why Shakespeare's name is still um, repeated to this day because it's, it's, it's just as powerful the language reading Shakespeare is like reading King James Version which is very, <laughs> it's just, it's so much thee and thou, and it's, it's so complex. But the uh, the idea, the concept is as simple as day. But you never would have seen that if that particular teacher nope. 
have not exploded that in your mind. And as a writer, I was like, I already had this in me. Yeah. The dynamite was there. She just lit it, yeah, yeah. and it just exploded. Yeah. And when I, as I got older, I just this hunger just grew, and even more. And then when I got to college, I learned that not only did I have the dynamite, like you have the ability to light it. Yeah, yeah. And now you can provide the same thing for other people. Um, last question, um, and I always I just started doing this baby a couple of episodes ago because I'm just curious. What would you say is the glory in your story? The glory in my story is the knowledge that I have of the presence of God through my whole journey. I, I depended on him and I counted on him to be there and knowing that he's there with me all that time. He's there with me then, now, and on. But just that knowledge of knowing that he's there and he's going to help me. And that he will help me. That, that in itself, I could not have, I, there's no way, there's no way in this world I could have made 40 years without the knowledge of his presence during those years. I couldn't have done it. And this, I could not. And I had my own personal life to deal with during that time. I couldn't have done it. There's no, there's no way. I couldn't have done it. And, I, and situations come up, people couldn't understand me when I say, when they said, uh, this child, uh, you won't let me take this child out of your room? No. No, I, I, don't, I don't have a say-so in that. And I told him that. God placed that child in my room. So therefore, that child is for me to deal with. Not for somebody else. That's, he's for me. And when, he, when, when I walked, he placed in my, in my path many teachers many students, many administrators. If I had not, had not known him, I would not have been able to deal with the administrators that I've had. I would not have been able to deal with the kids that I've had. And I would not have been able to help the teachers that I have helped along the way. All because of him. And, and that's, and that's, that's, that's more than glory. That's that's beyond glory. But we can leave it at glory. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, first of all, I want to thank you for your time, and um, we, you know, you and I could talk all day. Oh yes, <laughs> been talking for as long as we can remember. Yeah. Um, but one thing that I would like to add is that along, it's funny you said along the way. That was one of part one of um, T.D. Jakes. Um, stories along the way yeah. along the way and he talked about traveling with his family and with his kids and the things they used to eat and he said it wasn't the destination that we enjoyed it was always the journey it was along the, the journey. way yep. and your life consists of so much things but you enjoyed it along the way 
that led up to this point. The funny thing is, your story isn't even finished yet. Oh, no. Not even finished. He has something else for me to do. I'm (laughs) I'm trying not to be anxious because he said be anxious for nothing. But I don't know if I'm already walking in it Mm -hmm. or something to come. But he will will let me know when when he wants me to know. And uh, along the way, you've planted a lot of seeds. And uh, most importantly... Um, you planted it in us, your kids, and we view education the way we do primarily because of you. Um, you were our exposure to God, even though we went to church, even though we were heavily involved in that environment, you were the cornerstone in our experience, because if we didn't see that in you, we weren't going to see them at all. That, that, that is what I tried to do for the kids I taught. I couldn't say it. But I wanted them to know Christ. And the only way someone will know Christ is Christ in me. And that's what I tried to do. I wanted them to see and know who God is without me saying who God is. And you've done a really good job of that because a lot of people can't do that effectively because they say, oh, I can't. You, 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 you're, you're putting a, a, a cap on how I should uh, live my life or express my my, I'm not going to say religion, but my belief and my values. But you did that in a way where people can't help but see him. Yep. And every time people would give you credit, even we, you always say, nope, it's not me, it's him. And you're giving credit to the person that orchestrated all of this. Yeah. And we did. So, and it's so far, for as long as I've been alive, it's been an awesome thing to view. And, <laughs> Thanks, <CJ. laughs> and it's cool because when you're the youngest, in the, in the house, you still get an opportunity to see people up in, up in front of you and before you yeah. evolve yeah. and grow. And it's been it's been awesome to see this. And um, one of my the best unreal moments I've had was being there and say, Mama, are you getting your doctoring degree? You know, <laughs> and then seeing the photo of you uh, graduating. Was that high school? Or was that college? It's a it's a black and white. No, it's, it's an old photo, and you were walking down. Oh, that's high school. There was and, to, and I, that's what my mind went to when you got your doctorate. Even uh-huh. though we weren't there, I'm yeah. like, you went from this yeah. to this. Um, but um, I I can go all day on all day about the effect that not only did you had on my life, but your students, and I just. It's just, it's, it's phenomenal. And I'm, I'm not just saying it because I'm your child. I know, see. But as an educator, like, people really underestimate the effect that you have on a student's life. You're, 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 yeah. you're a bulk of their life. It's, yes. And it's not just what you're teaching, but it's who you yes. are as a human being. And it, I mean, it, but if you, if you don't have, for me, if it wasn't, I can't say enough, if it wasn't for God, though, if it wasn't for him, giving me direction, wake me up in the middle of the night, give me ideas, mm. you know, and uh, ways to approach kids. And and that's, that's, that's my plan is like, you know, is to write a book. Mm-hmm. And, and my book is to, is to make sure that people understand how God was in the midst. Yeah. In the midst of it. It, makes, it made, made a difference in my life. Well, we are uh, we're looking forward to that. Not just your family, but 
um, people that your coworkers, past coworkers, students, friends, family, um, an awesome, awesome example of how God can be in the midst of everything. And just because you can't see him or anybody, just because somebody can't see him doesn't mean he's not there. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So, um, but thanks again, Mom, for um, for Mama. You're welcome, CJ. For your time. Uh, For those of you who are listening, this is episode 43 of The Glory in Our Stories uh, with Mom, Mama, Mother, uh, (laughs) a.k.a. Dr. Denise Lee. Anyway.